Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, I'm Jess Phillips and welcome back to Yours Sincerely. Now, most of you might know I'm an MP in Birmingham, but what you might not know is that I've always been a prolific letter writer and know the power of putting words to paper. So in this podcast, I give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Sally Wainwright is a writer and director. She's the mind and creator behind some incredible TV programmes, including the iconic BBC drama Happy Valley and ITV's Last Tango in Halifax and Scott and Bailey. Sally grew up in Huddersfield and studied English at York University. After she graduated, she became a bus driver. At the age of 24, Sally quit her job to write full-time for the BBC radio series The Archers. She then became a staff writer for the ITV soap Coronation Street before focusing on her own projects. In 2020, Sally was awarded an OBE for her services to writing and television. Today, I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. So hello, Sally. I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on. Uh, You are literally, I think you probably get mentioned more than almost anybody else on this podcast. (laughs) In fact, somebody has written a letter to say thank you to you on this podcast uh, for your brilliant writing. So it's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for coming. Well, thank you for asking me. It's nice to be here. Oh, my gosh. I uh, it must have been like a bit of a whirlwind in the last few months. What with Happy Valley coming to uh, its well, what I like to think is maybe its final <laughs> conclusion. But I'm sure I know that you have said repeatedly it is its final conclusion. Um, however, it is just I'm just I just got to get this out of the way. It is just literally the best, and the best thing about Happy Valley, not even just the brilliance of all the actors and uh, the the proper, reasonable representation of violence against women and girls, which is so rarely done well. Uh, and I spend, it, you know, my whole time being like, that would never happen when I watch things. <laughs> um, and I don't get to do that with Happy Valley, which I'm pleased about. Um, but is I just love that they do things like drop, dishcloths and things and like (laughs) I just can't tell you how it is it matters to me that like she unlocks her car like she does it's not just unlocked when she gets to it and I'm kind of a bit anal about things like that I 
I find that my imagination doesn't work unless it's really grounded in reality. It makes it so much realer. Like, I just re- vividly remember this whole scene where somebody drops a tea towel and I was like, that, well, that is what happens in real life. One thing I think is poorly done in lots of drama and television is conversations between friends. It's quite hard to write well and it doesn't, yeah. like, flow uh, very well. And It's not how women actually talk to each other and yeah. I think in Happy Valley the way the women talk to each other is realistic. That's really interesting, actually. You know, there's a lot of high-octane, high-concept stuff and I think uh, dramas about relationships are actually quite difficult to get greenlit because... Things like, uh, you know, when I wrote Last Tango in Halifax, mm. that was turned down by the BBC and ITV originally. Because it um, is just people's lives living alongside yeah, each yeah. other. It's not, I mean, it was quite a good concept at the time. I think it was the first drama that did look at old people. You know, I think there were things that came after that. Mm. But it was, I think it was the first time. And I think there's this perception that amongst commissioners, or that perhaps then there was. Um, well, I think there is now actually to some degree that, uh, you know, it's not fashionable, it's not sexy. And yet, you know, a lot of the audience is made up of people of that generation. Yeah. Who do want to see dramas about themselves. Yeah, I I just, I mean, brilliant drama is drama that you feel like was written for for you or when you're reading a book and you feel like, oh God, this is like, it feels like it had been written for, for me. I think all dramas, some of which I absolutely love, that are conversations between oh. women just talking to each other. Like, that is where, even when I love them, like, you, you, you sort of Sex in the Cities, which I love for all my generational, oh. uh, you know, yeah. nostalgia. I love it for I love it for that. And I love that it is fundamentally a TV programme that is just about female oh. friendship. Oh. Actually, the sex and the city <laughs> are totally unnecessary. It's about how women look after each yeah. other. But when they converse with each other, it's not like a conversation I've ever had with any of my friends. And even it's not because they're from New York and we're not. And they're like, I don't know where I mean, Prada bags and stuff. It's just the the patter, the tone, the tempo of the conversation mm. isn't the same as when me and my friends sit around and talk to me about <laughs> things like piss taking, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Essentially being a bit mean <laughs> to each other, like like as a language of love, like being like, oh, don't be yeah, a dick. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that's a northern thing, you know. Um, it maybe is a northern so, thing, I yeah. Maybe. sometimes get into trouble for um, talking like that to people. And I think I'm being funny and they, they'll take it the wrong way. But hey-ho. <laughs> My dad always says I'm only truly mean to the people I really love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a sign of love and affection. Now, I feel like uh, there's a generational divide of people who come on this podcast, Sally, Mm. uh, and uh, one is a set of people who uh, wrote letters all their life, Mm. and the the younger generation basically sometimes don't know what a letter is. No, my sons Um, never open their mail. If they get a letter in the bus, they just don't open it. I'm literally just saying the same thing. My kids, they could, I mean, especially my son got a letter the other day. He's got one of those Tony Blair trust funds that were set up by the, and he's about to turn 18. And so he's got this letter and it's basically telling him he's got loads of money and he didn't bother to open it. I was like, you idiot. I know. You've got loads of cash and you didn't open it. <laughs> they don't. They just like sit there on the side till I open them to see if they, they need yeah, reading on exactly. them. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't like opening them because my mum always taught me that you never open someone else's mail. And that's sort of ingrained oh, yeah. in me that you don't open someone else's mail. I think it's a crime, mail. isn't it? I mean, that's what my mum told me, that it is literally a crime <laughs> to open somebody else's post. Yes, I open my children's every single day because I know that they're not going to bother. <laughs> Um, so are you much of a letter writer? Were you much of a letter writer? Um, I think I was. 
I recently discovered when I was clearing out the attic a box of letters from when I was at university and I was amazed. I was amazed by how much I'd forgotten oh, yeah. who I wrote to and who wrote to me. Um, and I found quite a few long letters from school friends who um, I, I presume I must have written back to. Um, and I'd just forgotten that that happened and there was a lot to my mum. So, yeah, and I guess I just don't write letters now because so few people do. You know, yeah, it's something yeah. you have to consciously um, bother to do these days. Nowadays, it's just become a card on a card. People all write something into a card. That's it, yeah, really, though, nowadays. Yeah. People don't, like, write letters so much anymore. I remember when I was a kid, we used to literally race to get letters, like... Uh, like we were yeah. expecting something like a return from someone we'd written to or something. And you'd, you used to have two posts, didn't you, back in the olden days? Oh, God. The early yeah, post yeah. and the late yeah, post. That's right. um, and yeah. your exam results and th- all that like came through the post. Yeah. And you just don't have any of that anymore. Now it's just Amazon deliveries and it's, it's, it's just suppliers. Amazon every day, isn't it? <laughs> it's crap that you already knew was coming because you ordered yeah. it. Uh, even then, I still I like this. I order so much crap that I I've, I'm like that. What is this? And I'd completely forgotten that I've done it. I know. It's I'm terrible. the same. <laughs> um, do you have any letters that you've kept? Like apart, you said that you got the box, but have you got any like letters of note that mean something like a special to you that you you've kept? I've got two. I don't know where one of them is, but um, one I have got that I kept was when I was. Oh, I can see it. Um, when I was at school, when I was 17, I was doing A-level art and I wrote my dissertation about David Hockney. Mm. And um, my mum said, why don't you write to him and get his autograph and you could put it in the front of your dissertation to send off to the examiners <laughs> to show, you know, how much you care about what you're doing. Um, so I looked up his mum's name in the phone book for Bradford because I knew he came from Bradford. So I sent a letter to his mum saying, can you send this to David? Because he's in, he was in Los Angeles. Very much like Bradford, and, um, Los Angeles. <laughs> and I got I got um, a letter back from David Hockney. That is amazing. And he said, dear Sally Wainwright, uh, here is my autograph for your A-level dissertation, David Hockney. If you can't read that, here is, is again David Hockney. Yours sincerely, David Hockney. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that it's because you're from Yorkshire and he's from Yorkshire? And that is like being in a different sect. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It may just be a really nice person who writes back to students. But Who was the other letter off then? So we went one off David Hockney, that's quite hard to beat. Um, the one I've lost, it was from Charlotte Cornwell, the actress. Oh, yeah. Was in Rock Follies of 77. Well, she was in Rock Follies and Rock Follies of 77. I was a great fan of hers and Julie Covington's. I thought they were great. And I can't remember why I wrote to her. It wasn't just a fan letter. I probably wrote with a, I found some reason to write to her. <laughs> anyway, I was a great fan. And she wrote back a very nice letter. Do you feel like if people write fan letters to you now that you have to respond to them because of your good experience with David Hockney? I never write back. And I feel bad about not writing. I try to write back, but because I'm a writer, I have to sort of redraft and redraft and redraft. And But what I'm saying is I think that they only write back, people only write back to you redraft a letter. My God, that's good of <laughs> I you. I think this is the problem. I, just write, I, I, mean... can't, I can't write letters anymore because I have to redraft them so many times it gets ridiculous and I finally just give up thinking I haven't got time to do this. That is impressive that you do that. Um, um, because, I mean, I 
have to write letters all the time every single day um and I wrote back to I mean literally it's my job to do that and I have people who help me obviously but the idea that where somebody's like could you just write a note to this person I'm just like write any old (laughs) shit I don't think about reading well I'd be like that with emails but with a letter for some reason because it's oh and I can't write anymore you know when I use a pen these days my handwriting is just so erratic because I just don't practice anymore It, it yeah. You get about ten different styles in one letter. We, we've lost, yeah, we've lost the the motor function, really, haven't we? To use a pen. Um, so, well, don't don't feel bad if you're going to have to redraft and redraft. Just, I think that people will now just think that that you're just sitting there redrafting hundreds <laughs> of letters to them, which is even better than receiving one. <laughs> So I've asked you to think about three people you would want to send letters here. I hope you haven't had to redraft them a million times. Um, so the first person is a person who means the world to you. So who would that be? Um, obviously, the people who mean the world to me most are my sons, mm. my two sons, George and Felix. Um, but I didn't want to. That's almost too obvious. <laughs> That's a no-brainer that it would be them. Of course. You're biologically controlled by that sense. I was trying to think of a a slightly more left-field answer to who I think the world of. And I came up with... Me and my husband split up just before lockdown, actually. And what became really important to me after that was uh, my female friendships, my Mm -hmm. friendships with Mm -hmm. girls I was at school with. You know, we're, we're now in a... We have a WhatsApp group and we see each other and talk to each other all the time, like literally every day. Mm. There'll be a message on the WhatsApp group and it's just, you know, we're just chatting shit. Yeah. I mean, we're all in that WhatsApp group with our girlfriends. Utter shit. But it does, it really made me appreciate how much old friends mean, you know, that there, you know, there's that saying about old friends being golden and all that. But it's true. It really is true because they know you terribly well. So I was, I was trying to think who... Out of all my friends who I've come to appreciate a lot more in recent years, and there, there are two people who've been very constant in my life, and I couldn't choose between them. Well, you can have them both, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> my two people is um, Tabitha, who is an old school friend, but we've been remarkably consistent over the years. Uh, at, we've just always been in touch with each other. We've always kind of uh, been around at different times for each other. And another is my friend Roz, I um, first met Rose when I was a bus driver in London and I came, she, she actually lives in our village where I live now. And I met her when um, I came back to stay with Austin's parents for Easter, me and Austin, my husband. I came to meet his parents for the first time and I'd actually resigned as a bus driver because I'd had enough and I didn't tell anyone uh, that I'd actually resigned and given up the house where I lived and I actually had nowhere to go. Homeless. And beyond staying with Austin's parents for Easter, I actually didn't have anywhere to live um and in the village i met Roz, who uh, was a friend of austin's mum and dad and i was telling her this and she said oh come and live at my house um so i ended up living with Roz for about six months excellent and she's just one of those people who takes everybody under a wing and looks after everybody and um is kind of a mother hen kind of character and she's just very interesting she's led a really interesting life um she spent a lot of time in Africa, um, in Kenya. She's just very broad-shouldered, very broad-minded, very... She's just led... She lives life, and she's got a huge number of friends, and 
she's one of those people who just she's not just friends with people it's like she has a lot of good friends yeah. she's one of those people who makes the world go round i met her when i was i was about 24 then and we've just been really good friends ever since. And she's just always there for me. And I hope I'm as good a friend to her as she is to me. I, I, I don't think I probably am because she's... Some people are better at it. I don't think, you know, we've all got our skills. Uh, and some people are just better at being a very thoughtful friend. Yeah, she is. She's very thoughtful. I think that's the thing. Um, and I've just learned a lot from her. I've learned a lot from her. She's slightly older than me. She's um, she's about 74 and I'm 59. So she's 15 years older than me. And I've just learned a lot from her. She's, she's one of those real... She's 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 good at things like baking and gardening and cooking and she's a fantastic conversationalist, which I'm not. And and she's just a very decent human being. And I've just learned so much from her about stuff, about life, about how to be how to be a good person. I think that we don't um we we don't sort of give enough credit to how important the relationships with our female friends are. And as I try and do it sometimes, because lots of people feel this way and come on here and talk to me about it and I spend my whole life, I mean, I literally spent my life working in the women's movement. So uh, I'm familiar, but it's sort of like, you know, when you try and explain um, a dream and it slips away from you as it's happening, as you're trying to explain it, um, it's going. I can't find... The words, uh, you know, with because we've got so much language for love. We have so much in the annals of history for the expression of love that I think that we are a bit bereft in the language of sorority and what it means. But it is as strong for me as any romantic love I have felt. The, the sense of uh, passion that I have about it um and like you know when so when you fall out when I fall out with my friends which I have done over the years my close female friends it's something so much more painful than falling out with my husband <laughs> which may be because I do that far more regularly it's interesting isn't it because I think I didn't quite know whether this was a good thing to talk about because I thought it might look a bit sound a bit weird and it isn't weird at all and I think as you get older those relationships become even more important uh you know biologically as we're not you know uh, necessarily tuned into finding the next man. I'm certainly not. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who could be arse? <laughs> um, those relationships do get... Oh, oh, one appreciates them more, I think is the thing. Or you, you notice them more and you realise how... Also, there's an element of choice them. about them. There's yeah. an element of choice about them, which, you know, matrimony isn't, a, you know, there's a contract involved and also other responsibilities, shared children, et cetera, et cetera. Like, my friends, like, choose to be mates with me and they yeah. choose to keep doing it. Like, that's like a level of commitment that I've never expected from any man. <laughs> so They're very uh, different, just... aren't they? They're very different um, kinds of relationships. I think, I do think women are more emotionally articulate, that what women do talk about how they feel and, um, you know, if they're in love or if they're depressed or any, you know, and everything in between. And... Um, I, I've never kind of had those conversations with men. No, and I don't think they have them with each other. No, I don't think they have, do. I don't think they no, do. No, I don't. I, I think that's... <laughs> no matter how much we are discriminated against, at risk of murder in our homes, getting paid less, all of that, I wouldn't swap it, do you know? Like, because I like those conversations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I wouldn't... I don't want to just be, like, a man called Colin who has a uniform that he has to wear every day. Do you know what I mean? Like, it feels like... Yeah, It's I, sometimes a bit uniform to be a man. 
I feel a bit mean saying that. I mean, there are some men who are. I mean, who, my, like, you, um, I have two sons, like, yeah, and they're, they're brilliant they're and dazzling great. and yeah, hilarious. I, I do have good um, conversations with my sons, but maybe yeah. they, they, they feel obliged to speak to me. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, I just don't. I just think that there's there's reams and reams and reams of literature to be written about this, and people have just got to crack on with it because I haven't got the language to say what they mean to me because it's not been written down. Well, properly. that's what I, my next drama is. Um, I'm, I'm writing. Something. I'm relying on you, Sally. Frankly, so I hope. But again, I'm I'm, I'm structuring it at the moment, and it's 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 um, it's finding language that yeah. expresses things that's. Not always there. Because the language of connection, we're so used to it being either sexual or, uh, I don't know, all the language of of connection is about romance and it's not, but it's not not romance as well. I'm not eloquent enough for this. Uh, I'm going to leave it to you. It's really interesting that you've mentioned the lack of language. It's terrible. um, I I was trying to write a treatment of this and I thought, is it like bromance? Is it, what's the female equivalent of bromance but then it's like it's not a bro it's not it's no. not that it's not it's just people with mates people who are there for each other yeah. that sounds really crap so yeah but no no but you, this is this is why you're going to have to fill in yeah you're gonna to have to fill in the the gap because there is one yeah and that's what i get from Roz and tabitha my two people that i wanted to talk about um is that idea that they're just always there they always they understand they sort of understand me and know more about me than i do or they remember things about me that i've forgotten i've said you know <laughs> um so is tabitha the same age as you yeah we were at school together tabitha started uh, she came to my school when in the second year and she got sat next to me for some reason i think they thought we'd get on and we did we're still friends it's so funny how your friends are just arbitra- <laughs> arbitrarily given to you by like an alphabetical system at your school or like who you happen to be sat next to. Like teachers have no idea that when they sit you down that they are literally have your whole future <laughs> life in their hands of who they put you on a table next we're to. We're very different, but we just really get on. We're all kind of... Um, and what I love about Tabitha, she... Uh, I don't know, she somehow... She's a great raconteur. She talks a lot and it's all really interesting, or at least I think it is. She, I get some of my best stories from Tabitha. Um, she's she's a constant source of um, useful information. <laughs> she uh, lived on a, an old farmhouse up um, up on the tops above Rittenden and I used to love going up to their house and her mum was an English teacher in a, another school, not ours. And I just I remember going there and just really loving it and her mum was... Um, just always encouraging. I think she's the only person who, as a kid who encouraged me about my writing, partly because it was secret and I didn't tell people that I wrote, but she, I think I did tell her and she was always just very... She was one of those people who just saw, saw the best in everyone and encouraged everybody. And that isn't why me and Tabitha stayed in touch necessarily, but, you know, through the years you kind of drop off with certain school friends, mm. university friends, you sort of see them quite erratically. But for some reason, me and Tabitha are always constantly yeah. in touch I wonder which ones stick. <laughs> Geography definitely helps. Geography yeah. definitely helps people stick together, isn't it? You know, well, basically, I'm quite lazy. And if you still live around the corner, I'll see you much more. Basically, thing is now we've, we actually bought a house together. Oh! So uh, we bought a house. Tabitha and her husband Bob live in one side and I live in the other. My gosh, that is, that's like something from a sitcom. Well, it, I actually live in Oxfordshire, but it means I've got, I'm lucky enough to have another house up in Yorkshire. And, and so, um, you know, she keeps an eye on it for me, which is great. Excellent. Again, she's one of those people like Ros, just somebody who's always been there. And are they friends with each other? They know each other. Yeah. 
through me, obviously. Yeah. Tabby the Snot, the only school friend, that, as I said, there's this little WhatsApp group that... Uh, and we now see each other regularly, you know, which we didn't before the advent of WhatsApp. We'd kind of, a few of us had lost touch with each other. Yeah, But now yeah. we see each other regularly and... Um, you know, maybe once every two months. Well, it's that it's the ability to have a group conversation on on WhatsApp that I think has made that definitely made that a lot better. I see much more of my brothers, for example, since the dawn of it. Like I would speak to them just at Christmas. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, and now we speak to each other like every single day. Um, so, how would you sign off a letter to Tabitha and Roz? Um. Well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it would be redrafted seven times. It would be redrafted several times. I don't know. I don't know how you'd sign off a letter to a friend like that other than, see ya. <laughs> Cheers. See you later. Don't forget to put the bins out. I think that's the thing with friends like that. You don't actually ever tell them what you think about them. You don't ever say, I love mm. you, you know. She kind of yeah. don't need to. I do when I'm really drunk. Oh, yeah. Really drunk. Yeah. I got really drunk with my girlfriends at the weekend, in fact, and I just kept being like, you're yeah. the best friend <laughs> ever And then the next day I thought, Yeah, what but you can't put that in a letter, can you? Because no, even if you were you writing the letter when then... you were drunk, you'd probably not post it and then you'd rip it up before you sent it. <laughs> so I don't know how you'd sign off a letter other than, bye. <laughs> yeah, ta <laughs> We'll be back for the final letter after a short break. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. So the next person I asked you to think about was somebody who's no longer with us. So who would that person be? Um, again, I didn't want to go for the obvious, which would be my mum. Uh, my mum died uh, recently. She died just before Christmas. Gosh. Um, How old was she? She was 93. Gosh, that's a good age. And I've talked about her a lot recently and I've thought about her a lot recently. Um, and I didn't want to talk about her today because I'll just end up crying a lot. It's still very fresh, that, though. 
if she's it is only, very fresh. Yeah. Um, and it does upset me still. To well, talk about it, it's going to upset you for a long time, I would say. I don't, um, well, it's never going to not upset you. Oh, it changes you. Yeah. It changes you completely. My mum died um, when I was 29 and, yeah, I've not been the same. It definitely oh, made me work really hard in distraction. That's the good, I suppose, whether whether that was healthy yeah. or not, I don't know. But um, but it's never, it's ever, me... ever not sad. I'm never, ever, ever not sad. I'll never, ever, ever not be sad about it ever my whole life. So, no, I conquer mm. her. And it's made me think a lot about, you know, what I want to do with what I've got left, which I've never thought about before. I never just never thought like that before. Yeah. Um, anyway, I wasn't going to talk about my mum because, yeah. again, clearly my mum would be the person. But I thought I would talk about my dad. <laughs> <laughs> my dad died 22 years ago. And um, I don't think I ever really appreciated him as much as I should have done. Um, well, we don't. With our dads, for some reason, there's... Um, well, I'd, I, I, when I was at school, I, there were kind of two kinds of girls I found amongst my mates. And there were those who just were daddy's girls and I had a really great relationship with their dads. And there were ones like me who just didn't really seem to like them at all. <laughs> and um, so as a teenager, I did have quite a you know, difficult relationship with my dad. Was he quite strict? No, he wasn't particularly strict. Um, I mean, he, he expected a certain level of behaviour. I didn't like being in the same room as him at times. I would like I would find excuses to eat my meals elsewhere and things like this. Gosh. Um, at a certain point in my teenage years, um, and I don't know. I don't feel too bad about it because I know other. I've talked to so many other girls who've had similar kind of. Yeah, I think it's a difficult. It is often. Have you got sisters? Yeah, I've got an elder sister, Diane, who's eighteen months older than me. Oh gosh, not much older then. So. No, I don't really know how she felt about my dad. To be honest. But, um, so I also think I had a bit of a difficult relationship with him. But looking back, it was, it, you know, he really helped me and he was really good to me and I regret now. Um, so it would be nice to be able to write a letter to him. Yeah. What did he do to help you? Well, I'm crying now. <laughs> Don't, you can cry, it's all right. <laughs> I get, I get I'm, it's, I'm fine. I get really, I get emotional at anything. Oh, I think gosh. It's, I'm still, me too. you know. In the wake of my mum's death, anything. To oh say yeah, but doing. I think happiness as well. Like uh, like I now at a wedding. Ever since I've suffered any sort of real grief, anything happy or sad, I'll just cry. I just can't. I mean, it happens in Parliament all the time. I'll be like, oh fucking hell, <laughs> to be like a strong fucking woman, and you fucking blasting again. <laughs> it's like I, I, I blame it on the wind a lot of the time. I cry all the time. I'm like a. That's what. That's probably what I'm. Yeah, about the now. wind. It's just the wind. It's just the wind. <laughs> um, yeah, my dad was great. He. Um, I I wanted to drop out of university after my first term there, and he persuaded. He took a long time. A very. He didn't get cross. He, he had a bad temper a lot of the time. He was quite mm. short tempered. Mm. And he didn't, it, it was really calm and placid and he took a lot of time and trouble to persuade me to go back. And I'm really glad he did. I'm really glad I didn't yeah. drop out in that first term. Because um, my life would have been so different if I had. And um, just generally, it was, it was very, my dad was a, a senior lecturer at Huddersfield Polytechnic and he taught people to be teachers. He was in the education department. That's what my dad did. All right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, that's what my dad did. He taught teachers to be teachers. And um, he was very passionate about education and he was so determined that he wanted me and Emma to go to university. Mm. Um, th there was never a question about that. It was always, you, you go to school and then you go to university. It was like 
totally what was expected of us. And then didn't do that, uh, sadly, which I think really disappointed him. And, and I... And I, I really wanted to go to university. It was something I definitely wanted to do. And I, I, I kind of took it for granted that that's what everybody had the chance to do. Mm. And it was only as an adult that I realised that not everybody is encouraged well, to do Well, especially when you went. I mean, it was probably less than 10% of the population. Then it, it's massively bigger now, like massive amount of the population go now, like nearly 50%. Um, but then... It just, yeah, absolutely wasn't the case for the vast majority of people. No, and I, and I didn't really really appreciate that, that, you know, it's not something that, you know, I, I'm really grateful I grew up in a house where um, that was something that was encouraged. Mm. Um, and that was because of him. He was very um, passionate about people being educated. Um and he was also a passionate historian, uh, which I, rubbed off on me. And we, some of my best times were spent, uh, <laughs> sounds really boring, but it's, it's what I liked. Uh, we used to go to a lot of um, museums, uh, places of historical interest, <laughs> castles. Uh, what my sister would call it being dragged around castles. Where I was going to say, that's what I called it. <laughs> Um, secondly, you know, I understand that some people wouldn't understand that. I realised that my privileged childhood of being taken to I don't, um, the amount of medieval churches I've seen the inside of, <laughs> I can't tell you. Um, I, I hated every single moment of it. Uh, yet I realise now what a, you know, what a snotty, spoiled brat I was. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of insides <laughs> of old buildings that I saw as a kid. Yeah, you see, I would have loved that. The other thing he used to do when I was very little is we used to make things together. It was because he was a teacher, a junior school teacher originally. Um, he was very into making things. Like uh, uh, he used to make aircraft, uh, airfix models, and that sort of thing. And he used to, I just used to sit and watch him. And um, it was just very handy at making all sorts of things like that. The thing is, is we don't recognise in our parents the foundation that they are giving us. You know, it's and, and we don't, as parents, know that we're doing it ourselves. We don't, it's not intentional. I'm not intentionally teaching my children that you should stand up for your rights. I mean, sometimes or intentionally teaching them. My husband makes a lot of things uh, like the benefit of a task and finish or, but mm. you know, you're, you being given a foundation and caring about history and caring about education mm-hmm. and care, like they're not necessarily hard lessons that they're trying to teach you, but by osmosis, they just give you a foundation that you then rely on for the rest of your life. Um, and that I think we don't give our parents anywhere near enough. Like, you know, I undoubtedly ended up the way I am because my mum and dad were activists. Like they, they taught, they, they taught me through their actions that if something isn't right, try and do something about it. Um, and like, and also medieval churches. Those, those were the two things I got out of them. I've, I, I have got a degree in history, but I've le- I've learnt less on medieval churches, I'd say, throughout my career. Um, but you obviously written like the historical mm. dramas and things that must come from. Oh yeah, that. completely. Yeah. And what would you want to say to your dad? I would, I'd like to tell him that I loved him. Yeah. So that he knew. And that I appreciate everything he did. Do you honestly think that he didn't know? You can't possibly think that. Do you, have you ever thought that your kids didn't love you? Even in the worst 
moments um, of them not wanting to be anywhere near you <laughs> and literally telling you that they fucking hate you. Have you ever for a second thought that they didn't love you? No. <laughs> there you go. Um, Take that lesson on board. Yeah. Sally Wainwright. <laughs> because they know, they, they know that you love them. They do. But it would be nice to be able to say it when they're gone. <laughs> it would. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Bless you. But anyway, <laughs> it's nice to get a chance to say it out loud. Well, good. I'll give you a moment's rest. No, I'm all right. Honestly, we'll I'm the, so used to crying the wind, and bursting out crying the these wind. days. I'm, I'm fine, honestly. I, I, I did an interview for something the other day and I kept crying. And I said, don't don't worry about me. Don't worry that, you know, don't keep saying <laughs> you're all right. Yeah. I'm just used it's, I obviously enjoy crying, you know, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've literally made a career out of women <laughs> crying in front of me. So I mean, it's, it's no skin off my nose if people cry often. I just don't even notice. If people don't cry, I think there's something wrong with them. I think, oh, why have you bothered to come and see me? If you haven't got anything to cry about, why are you here? So the last letter is to somebody who has affected your life but wouldn't necessarily know it. So who would that person be? Uh, well, I was going to talk about Anne Lister because she really has affected my life. But um, obviously, it's uh, no point writing a letter to her because she's dead. I know, but you, um, you... but I thought what could be really exciting in in the alternative universe in which we're operating is that she might write back to me if I did write to her because um, she was a great letter writer. Uh, so obviously, Anne Lister is the character. main character in Gentleman yeah. Jack, and and she owned Chipton Hall in Halifax, which is you know such an extraordinary place that's had a huge effect on me and she's had an extra extraordinary effect on me um you know I've, I've obviously read a lot of her diaries now in the course of researching gentleman jack and she was an extraordinary human being she was a she was very talented and um she had an extraordinary mind she was a polymath and she had this extraordinary clever mind and i just find her really inspirational it really you know, in so many aspects of life, she was, she's very, I don't know, there's so many times when I've, uh, we had this joke on the set of, um, when we were filming Gentleman Jack, if ever we got into a pickle about anything, we had this joke of saying, well, what would Anne Lister do? <laughs> and um, as soon as you think, what would Anne Lister do? And you think about, well, she'd do this and she'd do that and she'd do the other. Anne Lister had an answer for anything. She, she always thought outside the box. She was emotionally very articulate and very clever. She was very good with people. She was, and again, she, I, I, reading between the lines of the diary, I get the idea that she was very good at talking to people. She talked to anyone and everyone. She had so many acquaintances and friends, and of course she wrote it all down. And you get the idea that she would, even though she was a snob, she was a real right <laughs> bastard. She really was. Most people out of time, I mean, we can't judge her by no. modern standards, but I'd like to think that maybe she wouldn't be a terrible Tory now. But um, You can still think somebody's madly impressed. I think Margaret Thatcher's pretty impressive, but, you know, I wouldn't have voted for the woman. <laughs> well, yes, exactly like that. Um, but she, I, I do find her inspirational. She was, she, you know, she, she had a... She had a difficult life because of, she was determined to be true to who she was as a gay woman. And she was just very courageous, uh, but she applied great practicality to um, how she conducted her life, which meant that she could she could live as out a life as it was possible to live at that time when, it, you know, there was really no language for it at all. None um, at all. Literally none at all. Yeah. Like, it must have been... 
and, and for men, the, 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 there was, you know, it, well, I'm not saying it was easy for them. It wasn't at all. But um, there was language for it, at least, yeah. you know, classical and historic language for I it. I think the closest uh, that they got to language with Amnesty was people described her. There's another contemporary diary that's been found recently by someone who lived in Halifax. And they described <laughs> in the diary, I can't remember whose it was, but in the diary, this other lady just t- talks about having bumped into Miss Lister, who is as masculine as ever. and i think that's the closest they got to sort of describing what she was like i mean well she she seems an incredibly impressive human being she wasn't very you think she'd what do you think she'd write back to you though what do you need to hear from ann lister um what i (laughs) where's your body where's your body buried yes tell us well she might not know that oh she probably would she probably wouldn't know because she would have planned it all beforehand um yeah when she knew she was dying i'm sure she had some very clear instructions about what she wanted um, I'd like to, uh, what would she tell me? Or would I, I like to tell her, sorry, which was... Yeah, well, what would you like to tell her and what do you need to hear back from Amnesty? Right, well, first of all, I'd like to tell her that um, I've read her diaries and we've broken the code <laughs> and we all know what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and what I really would like to tell her is that she is now revered on a global scale and that people all over the world now recognize her her literary greatness you know her diaries really should and probably hopefully now are going to take their place in the literary canon you know she should be admired uh, on a literary level certainly and probably more than peeps you know yeah yeah oh absolutely i hope that's going to come i hope that's going to happen i'd love to tell her that i'd love to tell her that people from all over the world millions of women and some men um, uh, know who she is and think she's, uh, you know, she was a really fantastic human being to live a life so courageously and openly. And I I think she'd be very pleased to know that. Yeah, I think so. Um, So, um, yeah. So I'd like to know what she has to say to that. So I'd certainly like to get a letter back. The truth is she probably wouldn't even speak to me. I'd be way below her. You know, if I sometimes I have this fantasy of, you know, going back in time and knocking on the door at Shibden Hall and she'd just probably put me with the servants and say, can you give her a cup of tea and send us off, you know? Well, what I like then is that it was it took a working class woman to make her <laughs> to make her into the thing she would have wanted to be. Well, it's, it's uh, interesting, the two historians. We all so... get rich on the backs of the working class eventually. We all get great <laughs> on the backs of the working class somehow. I mean, what a woman. There are so few women of that era, certainly women writers, mm. um, that are remembered, really. that's that. It's not even that they're not revered, just literally unknown. Well, I think and that's that is... what's really interesting about people like Anne Lister. Uh, more and more women like her are emerging from history yeah. as having been relevant. That's like a fascinating thing because it's not like, you know, Women didn't just suddenly exist after 1967. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, well, this is you know, why I think it's it was... important that we find out where she's buried because there's yeah. nothing that she hasn't got a gravestone. A gravestone has been found, but it was found under some rubble. And, you know, if a man of great literary significance had li- lived yeah. in Halifax, I don't think they'd have ever lost his grave. Mind you, Richard III was buried under a Leicestershire car park. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but we have found him now, at least. Yeah, and his and his grave has been restored, you know, and he's been, he's been, has he's been, been restored, buried with great dignity, you know. 
Yes, indeed. Um, but yeah, that's what I think. I, I did my, uh, I did a degree in history and I wrote my dissertation on women's work. And if you were to listen to any common rhetoric, um, you would think that women didn't go to work until after the 1950s. And it's just absolute bullshit. Mm. Like the history of women's work on in farming, in agriculture, in everything, mm. actually, every sort of industry is as rich as that of men. Just no fucker wrote it down. No, it's true. It's absolutely true. <laughs> um, it's just like, oh, my God, it's so irritating to me, the, this idea that actually women going back into the workplace is part of some sort of sexual revolution. It's like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Women have been working since the beginning of time. Uh, we, you know, just nobody thought to note it because, you know, it was just like grunt labour that people were mm-hmm. doing. It's not that we need that there aren't these women in history. It's just that we, we've got to find them and we have to work harder to find their brilliant stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there must be so much. There is a drama in every inch of our history about a woman that we currently don't know the name mm, of. Mm. And so unless to be the first of many, many, many women that have been missing from history. Yeah. I've, I've got um, an idea for... Well, it was actually my my eldest son who helped me uh, come up with this idea of... Um, I want to try about Joan of Arc. And he said, why don't you write about all the interesting women that, uh, that were involved in the Hundred Years' War? And he came out with this list yeah. of... Women I'd never heard of, and then you look into them, and yeah. they're so what they did was so interesting, and yet they're yeah. not household names in the way that so many men are. Well, it's um, like um, the suffrage movement beyond, like you know, the Pankhursts, yeah. people and, and Millicent Fawcett, people are like, oh yeah, and then like you look into it, and it's just like, oh my god, there's these amazing working class yeah. stories of women like literally stripping factories down in Oldham, and like you know, like uh, the pin working women, and it's just like, oh god, why don't I know these people's I know, names? I know. This is embarrassing that I don't know these people's names. There are there, there are some really interesting stories from that time. I mean, I. I, I don't know if you could do a, a, a drama a bit like Game of Thrones, like the Hundred Years' War, as seen through women. So Henry V is over there doing something else, and we're looking at the women, you know. <laughs> yeah, because they must have been up to something, wasn't they? Oh, they That's were. frankly they, more they, interesting to me. Big characters. M- more relatable. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they drop teeth <laughs> uh, <laughs> when they're going about their business. <laughs> Well, Sally, it's been a total pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing your people with us. It's nice to meet you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. But in the meantime, check us out on socials at Jess Phillips Pod. That's also where you can get in touch with the show. If you've enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more, please follow Yours Sincerely and give us a rating on this app or wherever you get your podcasts. And why not get out a pen, put it to paper and write a letter to someone telling them about this podcast. Goodbye. This has been an Audio Always original.